welcome back. It is a, I guess, continuation of the last episode. It is the first Monday in June, and we are coming back to the story. Um, if you missed the first episode, go back and listen to episode 18A of the early years of Vidkun Quisling. And yeah, catch up with me there. Uh, but hopefully by this time I have got 1,000 listens. If not, that's okay. We'll get there eventually. Um, as I mentioned before, please uh, rate me on iTunes. Give me those reviews. Help me out so I can, you know, open my horizons to more viewers. Because that's always nice. Uh, but yeah, so let's continue. Um, we are moving on with uh, the war has just broke out. Norway has been attacked. And... Um, Norway, at least Oslo has fallen and Quisling is now assuming the mantle of leader. So it is now, it is still April 9th. Um, it is now 11 o'clock. No, sorry. 10 o'clock at night. Quisling is broadcasting from the radio. And by this time, Hitler has lent his support for the new pro-German, uh, Norwegian government. Uh, Quisling was in charge, but Norwegian defensive batteries, have continued to fire on the Germans as they're moving into the southern part of the country. Um, he would be, the the German ambassador to Norway would come to him and be like, hey, dude, you need to tell them to stop. So eventually it would stop. Uh, but yeah, I just think it's funny that they're like, I don't care if he's in charge, we're still going to shell you because you're invading our country. Uh, so yeah. Um like I said, eventually Quisling would need to intervene and tell them to stand down. The next day, so April 10th, the German ambassador, Kurt Breuer, would go to Elverum to speak with the government in exile. He demanded that they turn over to the government to Quisling peacefully, to which the king vehemently rejected this. He was like, nah, nah. We're still here. We're still alive. We're still ruling. Go away. Um, knowing that there would be no working with King Hakon, Quisling's support would go, and it would continue to just disappear throughout the war. Um, it would eventually cease to be of little use to the Germans because even then they knew they couldn't work with the king, and Quisling was no man to stand up to Hakon. Um, soon, very soon after this, he would be out of power and out of favor, outmaneuvered by former allies who saw him as a liability to the legitimacy of the new Norwegian government. The transfer of power that would ensue would be finished by April 15th. Uh, Quisling reputation would be finished, officially casting him out as a traitor to his country and a failure also to his country. So double negative um, to add to his growing failings and possible depression. His mother died in May. So that's shit. Your country hates you. And now your mom dies. Bravo. Um, it bothered actually quite a bit um, as his, him and his mom were actually really close. Afterwards, Germany would actually point a new leader for Norway. Uh, Reichskommissar Joseph Turbovin would be he would be appointed into that position of Norway on April 24th answering only answering only to Hitler himself 
Terboven wanted nothing to do with National Assembling or Quisling himself, as the two men did not get along. Uh, by June, however, though, an NS president's presence would be allowed, but he told Quisling that he must step down as its leader and to take a leave in Germany. He didn't even want him in the country. Uh, and he would stay there until August 20th. Rosenberg, Alfred Rosenberg, and Admiral Eric Rader, though, would negotiate on his behalf for his return to Norway. Because of this, Turboven was told to accommodate Quisling somehow, and he was placed as head of government um, within the Reichskommissariat, which is the German name for kind of like each territory that they had, you know, taken over and were going to establish as a territory, if you would. Later on, he would address the people that National Samling was the only political party in them, uh, in Norway. By the end of 1940, the monarchy was officially suspended, even though all it was was a government in exile in the United Kingdom. Um, however, the parliament remained with the pseudo-cabinet comprised of NS members. Um, NS would be formed into reformed into a pseudo-Nazi party where uh, Turboven remained in control. Uh, Quisling would begin programs to eliminate the destructive principles of French Revolution to include pluralism and parliamentary rule. So basically those things that allowed people to vote, um, allowed to have more, you know, bigger cabinets, etc. Uh, however, mayors around Norway were told that if they switched to the ruling party, they would be afforded greater uh, roles of, for power, if you would. Um, also, to bolster the survival of the Nordic uh, genotype, birth and contraception were to be restricted. So to follow along with the, the German type of Aryan race and superhumans and whatnot, Quisling believed that the Nordic race was actually superior and therefore he wanted to protect those people in Norway from everybody else. Um, on December 5th, 1940, he flew to Berlin in an attempt to negotiate for Norwegian independence. He would return a week later, and but he would agree to raise volunteers for the SS. Reichsfuhrer Himmler would actually go to Norway to oversee these operations to make sure they got done right. Uh, there was an initial attempt to install an SS brigade that was loyal to Himmler or Hitler, but Quisling rejected. Um, they didn't need more German influence in the country. However, he would align his anti-Jewish policies towards that of Germany, but he warned against extermination. He did not want the final solution in Norway, at least not yet anyway. Uh, later in 1940, he nearly resigned as he squabbled with Turboven over the finances of the country. Both would concede as Turboven would allow him more freedom of the finances, but Quisling was forced to allow the SS Brigade in Norway. So you give and you take, I guess, a little bit. Um, between May and September of 1941, Communist leaders were arrested and trade unionists were intimidated. 
um, to elaborate on that. In September, Vigo, Henstein, and Rolf Rickstrom were executed following the milk strike in Oslo. Uh, the milk strike was a response to the announcement by that milk would actually be rationed by the uh, Norwegian government. Afterwards, the two men mentioned would be executed, followed by many more arrests, while the trade union would undergo Nazification. It would basically be a nationalized uh, trade union where, you know, kind of like, uh, I can't think of one that was, I guess you could think of the, the DAF, the Deutsche Arbeitsfront, something along those lines. Um, the state police would be reestablished much in the mold of the Gestapo to perform the same duties that the Gestapo was doing, kind of like, you know, to help with the Gestapo. Um, radios were confiscated per Trubovin's orders. It was clearly Trubovin's idea, at least that's the way it's been presented, but Quisling agreed with these decisions and soon denounced the government in exile as traitors to Norway. After this incident, an, uh, a sort of what was called an ice front was established and it was it was it emerged between Norwegian resistance and national samling. NS supporters were ostracized from society, um, but Quisling was convinced that this was only anti-German sentiment and not his, like against him. He believed that once the Germans were gone, this would just blow away and everything would just be hunky dory. Um. And like I said, once they got independence, it would finally go away. In January of 1942, Turboven announced that the German authority would eventually uh, step down, which was good news, I guess, you know. Uh, and the transfer would occur on January 30th, which was approved by Hitler. As Turboven had told Quisling, he had doubts, or Quisling had doubts. Um, however, and it became clear that this would only occur once peace had been concluded in the East, because as we all know, Germany and Russia were at war, and that war would go on for quite some time. Um, however, even though, you know, independence was done, uh, Turboven recommended that the Reichskommissariat stay in, in power while that was being concluded. Um, Quisling would remain confident in his position that they would gain their independence, even though he was very unpopular as a person in his party in Norway. On February 1st, 1942, he was given a new position as minister president. I really don't know why he was given a new position. It's just like the, you have the same position, just a new name. He immediately promoted closer ties with Germany. He also reinstated the ban on Jewish entry into Norway, a law that had been banned since 1851. So, you know, 200, you know 190 years or 90 years, sorry. Uh, the trip he made to Berlin that month would be his first state trip. Um, and it was once again to discuss the state of Norway's independence. On March 12th, same year, Norway officially became a one-party state. NS was the only party, officially. Soon after this decree, any criticism and resistance to the party and the state was criminalized. Quisling said he had regretted taking this step, but hoped that the people would come around eventually. 
It is said that the final nail in his credibility was nailed uh, when he attempted to force children into the NS Undomsilking, which is uh, the Norway's version of the Hitler Youth. So good job. This prompted teachers and churchmen to resign en masse around the country. It didn't have like a full number, but it was enough to make noise. Um, rather than force the children to be indoctrinated into the NS camp. Eventually, Quisling said to the people they would have this regime whether they liked it or not. So, you know, just force it down their throats. People like that, right? On May 1st, 1942, the official resistance to Quisling's government began on a more grander scale, assuming there had been resistance to the German occupation from the beginning of the war. So it's like, well, we'll be okay with Quisling, but now since you're just, you know, you're messing up more, we have to, yeah, we just have to get rid of you as well. Hitler was not amused with Quisling's attitude or behavior by now. On August 11th of 1942, he postponed the peace talks indefinitely until the end of the war in favor of a German victory in the East. Norway would not get their independence, and as an added insult, Quisling was forbidden to write directly to Hitler. So it was like, that seems pretty steep. If you're, You must have been really, really mad at him. Quizzing had pushed, although slightly unsuccessfully, for an alternative to the starting called the Riksting. Uh, there was supposed to be divided into two chambers, the Neringsting, the economic changer, and the Kulturting, which is the culture chamber. Instead of this, a Furating was created with the Riksting created as an advisory counter in support of the Furating. After their eighth and last convention of that year in 1942, membership in the party really, really begins to fall due to factionalism and then the death of many high-ranking officials. Of course, German subversion does not help matters as they were seen one and the same in support of another. An example would be of this would occur in Trindelag, which was a city on the coast in Norway. Uh, where the Germans actually murder 10 important citizens of the city. So, yeah, you know. The final, the final, the final solution would actually rear its head in 1942. All Jews were registered in Norway by decree of a German initiative on October 26, 1942, 300 men were arrested and sent to camps at Berg, manned by Heerden. Heerden were basically the equivalent of the SS in Norway, uh, but employed, they were the paramilitary arm of the, S the NS. There were, the property of the Jews was confiscated by the state. One month later, the 300 were deported, and it is said that Quisling was aware of the deportations, which seems odd because he told people that they were his idea. Um, these men were sent to Poland. Afterwards, 250 more were deported, and in or those were in February of 1943. And apparently, the official position is unclear on what happened to them. Although Quizzing believed that they would be sent to a new Jewish home in Madagascar. 
which was at the time a theory that the Germans had possessed because they wanted to take Suez. And if they had taken Suez, then Madagascar could have been an open uh, road to send all their Jews to death in Madagascar. So Hitler and Quisling at this time were still not on speaking terms. So in order to make the Germans happy, uh, Quisling believed that he could raise more volunteers for fight for the total German war effort. Although by this time the war had turned, again, it's 1943. He opened his mouth again in 1943 in April, and in a speech he attacked Germany for the, its post-war pans of Europe, or lack thereof, as Norway had not been mentioned. Hitler did not care about the little man in the north, although he would commit to an independent Norway in September of 1943. While there was a war going on, Quisling was actually quite busy with social policy. In 1942, he passed 231 laws, 166 in 1943, and 139 in 1944. One of these laws would actually contribute to his fate in 1943 when the Lex Eilifson, uh law was passed. It was named after a man named Gunnar Eilifsen, a police officer, uh, this man was tried and executed for not arresting five girls for not reporting to for forced labor. The law was seen as a blatant violation of the Constitution. It also solidified Norway's role in the final solution. So good on them. Uh, after 1943, though, the Germans decided to exert more... Uh, exert more control so yeah there's that too they deported Norwegian officers and they attempted to deport students at the University of Oslo um, yeah, the attempt failed Quisling attempted to force uh, compulsory military service on the Heerden but instead of obliging they actually resigned to avoid service so they're like we're not helping them out good on them um, on January 20th, 1945, he visits Hitler for the last time, promising Norwegian support in these last final phases. In exchange, Norway was to be removed from German um, intentions, interventions, whatever. Uh, this grew out of the fear that if Germany left the country, the occupying government would have difficulties meaning control. The Germans would leave, but in their wake, they engaged in a policy of scorched earth. So burning everything or destroying everything on their way south from being up north. Um, they would also shoot those who refused to evacuate to the south. Uh, it didn't help, though, that Quisling, it didn't help Quisling that they were also increased air raids um, on the capital city and ever more resistance to the, uh, the government and whatnot. Later in 1945, he was asked to sign and execution orders for thousands of saboteurs. At least that's what they were identified as. Quisling actually refused this. He did not want to sign this. 
and Turbovin actually stormed out of the organization, out of the these negotiations. And the reason is is because uh, he he refused to sign. Um, the order was in exchange for peace, right? And so, but the order seems one sided. We want to kill thousands more of your people, but you need to sign this, and we'll give you peace. Um, Quisling was convinced now that he was unable to secure peace or the Nazi refused to give them peace, that his fate as a traitor was completely sealed, even though that was sealed even before the war broke out because of his plotted coup. So it was way before this, my friend. Knowing the war was coming to a close, his government tried to repatriate those who had been deported out of the country. They were trying to bring them back. Um... Hitler would commit suicide, end of April. Quisling believed that he could peacefully transition his government into a power-sharing agreement with the government in exile. That obviously would not happen. Hakon didn't want to work with him. And so there would be no... No negotiations. So, knowing the war was drawing to a close, like I said, he tried to repatriate. And then on um, May 7th, Quisling ordered the police not to resist the Allied advance and the resistance coming from the north. Germany would surrender the next day, so his position was pointless. Um, he met with military leaders to discuss on how he should be arrested. He hoped that would he would not be held as a common criminal. And he said that he could have called in his armies, supposedly, but he didn't want to turn Norway into a battlefield. Given that the Heerden did not want to serve in any kind of military capacity, I doubt any kind of anything would have been called. I think it would have just been pointless and he would have been, you know, strung up and killed. So it's fine. Um, on May 9th, he turns himself into police. And instead of his request of being, you know, not a common criminal, he was thrown into cell 12 at Mullergata prison in Oslo, where he would remain under constant surveillance for 10 weeks. They did not want him committing suicide. Which is fair. Afterwards, he would then be transferred to Akershus Fortress, um, Fortress during Norway's legal purge, which was like court trials for all their war criminals and stuff, or a few of their war criminals. Uh, he worked with his lawyer to form his defense at this time. His defense was that he did his best to serve Norway's interests. He was charged with many charges relating to the coup of 1940 to include revocation of the mobilization orders and others during his time as leader of NS and minister president. Also included were the charges assisting with the enemy, and illegal attempting, illegally attempting to alter the Constitution. He was also accused of Eilison's murder and the law that preceded it. He denied all charges as he insisted 
he was fighting for a free and prosperous Norway. His trial would begin on April 20th. It's not April, sorry, August 20th, 1945. His defense attempted to downplay his involvement with Germany. He fought for Norwegian independence, which seemed very contradictory to almost everyone in Norway except himself. It it is said that he misrepresented the truth and that the actual truth did, he did say, did him no favors. He did not win any friends while in court. Eventually, he would be charged in assisting with the final solution using former German officer officials' testimonies. The prosecution then called for his death. His sentencing was on September 10th, 1945, and he received the death sentence. An appeal was attempted in October, but it was rejected. Uh, while he was still alive, he would give testimony towards other NS members. Uh, I'm not sure who or what sentencing they got. It just said that he gave testimony towards their trials. Then, on October 24th, 1940 October yeah October 24th 1945 at 2:40 a.m. at Akershus Fortress in Oslo Norway Vidkun Abraham Lorentz Jonsen Quisling was executed his last words were quote i am convicted unfairly and i die innocent unquote he was cremated afterwards and his ashes were interred at Fyrsdal his hometown. Afterwards, his wife, his wife Maria, lived until 1980. Uh, she would go on to donate all of their pony, uh, all of their paintings and their collectibles that they, had, you know, they had achieved over the years to charity. His mansion, named Gimli, after Norse mythology, would be turned into a Holocaust museum. The National Assembly was wiped out after the war completely. Although, in 19, in 2016. Five years ago, a Supreme Court decision would actually reverse that decision. I don't know how prominent they are in Norway today, but apparently they are alive. Um, Interestingly enough, the NS would be erased at that time, but Quisling himself would remain one of the most written about Norwegians of all time. As I mentioned in the previous episode, his name would become synonymous with the word traitor so other traitors come to mind benedict arney but his travesties don't fall under the context of war crimes although if the destination were placed this you know had been defined during the revolutionary war then probably yes um he would be defined as a war criminal for sure um and he would not be just some guy who goes to england and dies in obscurity you know so, that is the two-part story of Vidkun Quisling, Norway's traitor. Um, I actually learned quite a bit about this person. I mean, there are some good qualities that he had when he was younger, but it doesn't look like those translated into his later life. I mean, he was humanitarian, and he did his best to help people. Uh, maybe he should have just stayed communist. I don't know. Um, he might have been off better. But at the same time, once you start venturing into Nazism, that's just a dark hole that you won't be able to get out of. Um, So, yeah, that's it. Um, I'm not really sure 
since it is the first week of June, what I'm going to do, since I have like, I've had two weeks to research my next subject, I was thinking about Belgium, they're not Belgium, but Bangladesh, 1971. Um, I am thinking about doing something on uh, eugenics because I know that's important to kind of like, kind of an umbrella topic and it's not really a war crime, but that study led to many things that were considered war crimes. So yeah, Um, by this time, I hope to have a thousand listens. Um, Once again, please leave a review if you want, iTunes um, or wherever you can find me, iTunes, Google Pod, um, just anywhere, Breaker, Castro, Anchor, anywhere. Uh, Once again, I am Jeremy Leyland. This is World of War Crimes, and yeah, hope we have a good summer. Okay, bye.